0: Jesus Real There's power in your name. Jesus'
1: Now how good is the salt in the shaker in your spice rack? It's pretty good, right? But is there any seasoning happening? Not yet. The salt's got to be on the meat to get the seasoning, right? The light needs to be on a lampstand to give light into the whole world. But if the light is sequestered away in a basket, how does the light get out? It can't.
0: Pastor Daniel reminds us today that as followers of Jesus, we're all supposed to be the salt and light of the world, meaning we're supposed to make an impact in the world around us salt enhances whatever it's added to, and light chases away darkness. But neither of those things happen if they're hidden away. So today, look at the immediate world around you. How could your willingness to talk about Jesus enhance the lives of those you see? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Church in Pergamos.
1: everybody worshiped at the temple of caesar but the christians they didn't and jesus is like i know your work and i know where you live and i know what's going on there see we have this going on right now and i don't want to eat anybody's lunch or, or poke fun but like so many people are moving off of the west coast of the united states right now because they want to go to more christian areas which i'm just like like listen in heaven it's a christian area it's like until then like moving to the people's republic of texas is cool and all if that's what you want And I know they have good barbecue there, but we got Goldie's down the road. Amen. And don't miss the fact Jesus did not move from discomfort to comfort. Jesus moved from heaven's glory on a rescue mission on the earth. And so what I really love right now is what's interesting is people who've grown up here, there's people who are, le- and I'm not, listen, if your job's moving you, I'm not knocking them. No, I pray with a number of people they are moving, and I'm not making fun of you. But I also love watching God sending people into our community right now. And I'm like, oh, I love how God works here. Because the people don't want to be here, they're like, they're like, man, we need to go to where it's comfortable. Where I don't have to deal with all this stuff. It's like, but I'm like, the Lord's like, Daniel, I know where Crossroads dwells. I know where you are. I know what's going on there. I know your works. And I love this because the church in Pergamos, listen to what Jesus says to them. It's so beautiful. He says, and you hold fast to my name and you do not deny my faith. He's like, man, you guys are holding on. You're remaining faithful. You are grasping at me forcibly who I am. And he's like, and even in the days when this man Antipas was killed for his faith, Right there at the temple. This is where he was martyred. The faithful martyr. There was a guy who was literally killed for his faith in at some time in the past. But they still held on. So here's my question for you. How are you doing following Jesus and staying distinct within the culture we live in? Of course, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I love this because Paul teaches us how to be distinct. He's saying, look, I want you to bring your lives and I want you to give it to God as a living sacrifice. I mean, talk about a paradox, a living sacrifice, right? Actually, sacrifices died. But it's like, no, you're alive, but you're coming having died to yourself. And when you do that, it says, this is your reasonable service. Like given the finished work of Jesus on the cross, us coming and saying, Lord, I'm gonna die to myself like i be made alive to you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay down all of my plans. I'm gonna say, Lord, what is your will? That's reasonable given what Jesus has done for us. Right. And then it says, and don't be conformed. Don't let this world shape us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, it's like, this is about God transforming our, the ways that we think to give us the mind of Christ, to take away the mind of our culture, the mind of the day and age we live in. He's saying, look, I want to transform you. I want to give you the mind of Christ that because of the mind of Christ being given to you by faith in Jesus, and you are surrendering and responding to what Jesus has for us, that your life begins to prove out what is God's good and acceptable and his perfect will. Now, what's so cool about this is the distinction that God wants for us is not superficial. And what I have found within the people of God and not necessarily here at Crossroads is that what people are really interested when it comes to being distinct from the host culture is pretty superficial stuff, right? Where it's like, Oh, a church is compromising because they took a wooden cross off the stage. Or the church is compromising because the pastor has got great locks. (laughs) Or the church is compromising because like, there was a time in the church that people playing guitar in church was like, it was like anathema. It's like you denied Jesus if you played a guitar in church. Or... You are compromising because you don't wear a suit. No one's ever said that to me. But there was a time when like, if the pastor isn't wearing a suit, there's a problem, right? Because they're compromising. Oh, listen, it is not reverent to wear sneakers at church. You have to wear loafers. It's like Jesus wore Birkenstocks. (laughs) Like we have a tendency to make it superficial. And listen, don't get me wrong. We all like what we like. Right? And so some people are like, man, that church compromised because we used to sing hymns and now we don't anymore. It's like, no, that's a song preference. Right? There used to be a choir, but there's not anymore. No, those are all superficial things. The distinction that God wants is an internal transformation. And you can like all your preferences, and that's totally cool because you're allowed to have your preferences. But God does not care about our preferences, He cares about our hearts, who we are on the inside. And when we begin to let Jesus do that transformational work in us, now all of a sudden we say, listen, people have different preferences, different styles. Some people have tattoos. Some people don't. Some people have long hair. Some people have no hair. No big deal because they're children of God and God is doing a work. So we don't want to make the case we should never want superficial distinction." And a lot of times in our day and age, especially when we look at what's going on in our culture, the church is craving this superficial distinction. And I'm saying, Jesus is not at all concerned with superficial distinctions. Look at everything that Jesus said to the Pharisees. Every time he's like, bro, you guys are superficial. You pray so everyone sees you. You do all that stuff so everyone notices. They think you're so spiritual, but your heart's far from me. You're like, the whole thing, it's real deep things that God wants to do in the depths of our soul. So you got to ask yourself, where are you craving superficial distinctions from our host culture? And if you notice, like, our world is doing that right now. It's like, oh, I don't like your social media. I'll create my own social media. Oh, they're going this way, so I will leave that. And, And it's like, all that is fine, but it is all superficial. And what Jesus is actually interested in, he's not telling the church in Pergamum to leave Pergamum. He's saying, I want you to be distinct within Pergamum. As I always like to say, Jesus wants us to be what? Salt and what? Light. Now, how good is the salt in the shaker in your spice rack? It's pretty good, right? But is there any seasoning happening? Not yet. The salt's gotta be on the meat to get the seasoning, right? The light needs to be on a lampstand to give light into the whole world. But if the light is sequestered away in a basket, how does the light get out? It can't. And so our distinction is an internal one not a superficial one. And there will be things that people will observe but the goal should never be superficial distinction. The goal should always be spirit wrought heart change, mind of Christ, different way of seeing and living in this world given the host culture. Does that make sense? And the church of program has that but notice what happens verse 14. It says but I have a few things against you. Oh. Like Oh. They're like, man, we're doing good. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing... I also hate, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, really what we learn here, of course, is compromise is killer. And I don't mean killer in like the cool, oh, so killer, you know, it's like, it's bad. I have to say that because, you know, we say all these things, like we're like, oh man, it's so killer. And it's like, that's a good thing if you speak that way. But like, I mean, it's a bad thing. Because really what you have here is that whereas the church of Ephesus was doctrinally stringent, but they lacked that heartfelt devotion, that brought them a rebuke, really the problem in the church of Pergamus is a de-emphasis of orthodoxy. And really what happens is that, that leads to an over-identification with their world in which they live in. And so Jesus said, this is what I have against you. There are those, notice this, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Now notice that. He says, there are people within the community. There are there those. So this is not a leadership problem. This is a body problem. This is within the people. There are those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now, You can find the story in Numbers chapter 22 to 25. So the story, remember the story, is that the children of Israel are, they're wandering in the wilderness and they're gonna be there for 40 years because they wouldn't go into the promised land right? And so they end up in the area of Moab. And the king of Moab, this man, Balak, is watching the children of Israel. And he's nervous about them because he sees that God has just delivered them from Egypt and all this stuff is going on. So he's like, listen, I need to go get this guy, Balaam, who's a prophet. And I need him. I'm going to hire him. And he's going to curse the children of Israel, right? And so he he sends all these people. He sends all this money. He he says, listen, we want, you know, Balak wants you to come and he wants you to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam's like, listen, let me go talk to God and I'll get back to you. And he goes and talks to God And God says don't go So he comes back He's like listen Even if Balak would give me All of his house and All of his silver and gold I can't come So he sends them away He doesn't go Then they come And Balak like Oh I didn't send The highest level of people Like I should have sent Better people More honorable people So they came back Better people More money And Balak was like Listen I told you I, I can't go But I'll go ask again Right And he goes and asks And Lord's like Okay go So sure enough He's like okay we can go but then when he's going, remember, there was an angel. He was set up. He was going to kill Balaam. But Balaam's donkey saves the day. you right. Did you remember that? Like every time he's going through the, the donkey sees the angel. Balaam doesn't. Balaam gets mad. He starts hitting the donkey and all this whole thing going on. Every time I say donkey, I think of Shrek donkey. But I... <laughs> But I'm a dad with kids, so this is like how this works for me. So, so you know, he's hit his donkey. And, and so, sure enough, finally, the donkey just gets mad and starts talking to Balaam. And, and, and it's the craziest story because, like, Balaam, like, starts talking with the donkey as if this is, like, a normal occurrence. Like, and the donkey's like, bro, like, have I ever done this to you before? Why are you hitting me? And he's like, I wish I would have had a knife and I would have killed you. And it's like, Balaam wasn't like, why are you talking to me? Like, which I, when I read that, I'm like, if I was Balaam, I'd be like, oh, Lord. Did I get some weird mushrooms in my salad last night or something? But God is speaking to Balaam. He's like, look, there's an angel there. And then God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel and he pets the donkey. He's like, sorry, donkey. And and he goes on and then he shows up. Now I'm making jest of a really powerful story, but then he gets to Balak and Balak's like, listen, I just hired you. I need you to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam's like, look, I can't say anything other than, oh, and some of you asking, well, why did God send him to kill him? Great question. How many of you were hoping I would talk about that? Two of you, praise the Lord. Well, I mean, for the two of you, let me give you a sneak peek into what's going on. So really what you have is in the scriptures, what it relates to Balaam, here we're talking about the doctrine of Balaam, but in other places, it talks about the, you know, the, the sins of Balaam or the way of Balaam, right? And really what's going on is the reason Balaam wanted to go is because he, there was a lot of money on the line. So a king inviting a prophet, this was a payday. And so God saw that really what Balaam wanted was Balaam wanted money. And so the way of Balaam is doing everything for money. And that's a, we'll have a different discussion about that another day. You know, the things that people will do for money. And how we will, I'm going to leave that, right? I realize we need to pay our bills. I'm not going to try and like pretend that that's not like a thing. But Balaam really, God already told him not to go. But Balaam really wanted to go. So there's a situation there. But when he gets there, Balaam can't curse the children of Israel. Because God has blessed them. And you have these three times, Balak's like, no, 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 I hired you to curse them. You, you bless them. Like you come look at a different part of them. Try, Balak's trying to do anything. And Balaam is just like, no, no, I can't. Bless. And then really, if you read it, Balaam prophesies a fourth time and Balak didn't even ask him. He's like, listen, at the end of this all, you guys are all gonna serve the children of Israel because there's one coming from the descendants of the children of Israel, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. You're all gonna bow your knee. And it's like an amazing thing. And, and then Balak's all all mad. But what you don't realize And if you read, really you see it in Numbers 25, is that really what goes on. Let me read to you Numbers 31, verses 15 and 16, which gives you the the, the story of it. It says, and Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregations of the Lord. So even though Balaam could not, cursed them as a prophet, he counseled Balak, listen, if you send the Moabite women down, the men will chase after them. And not only will they commit sexual immorality, but then they'll also worship the gods of the Moabites because they'll eat. And so really what Jesus is talking to, now, I know we live in a day and age where you start talking about women seducing men and there's all this discussion about toxic masculinity and all this stuff. Listen, in the end of the day, God created men and women to be attracted to one another Right. As I always say, when Eve showed up in the Garden of Eden, Adam said, whoa, man. (laughs) And that's a good thing, because if Adam and Eve weren't attracted to each other, none of us would ever exist. Right. But the problem is, is that human attraction outside of the authority of Jesus has all sorts of brokenness to it right? And really what went on is that literally the Moabite women seduced, they enticed the men of, of, of Israel and they not only left their marriages and had sexual immorality with these women, but then they also got them to start worshiping. They started worshiping the gods of the Moabites and they were really, what it says, eating things sacrificed to idols. They were literally worshiping the Moabite gods, all based on the advice of a prophet who couldn't prophesy against them, but was smart enough to see the weakness of the people. And so what you see what's going on is for the church of Pergamos and for us, we have to ask ourselves, where are we making soft choices? God had already given the children of Israel the 10 commandments. They should have no other gods before them. They they shouldn't covet their neighbor's wife. There's all these things that they already knew. They already had the whole law laid out to them. But in the end of the day, in that moment of temptation in the wilderness, they stumbled and all these people died. There was a huge plague there. But it was all precipitated by... The doctrine of Balaam. How can we get them to make soft choices? So the question is, what soft choices are you making today? Now, I say that quite aware that all of us are making some. Like, we're all making some. There's certain things we're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing that, but I'm doing that. And what I've seen in the body of Christ, except for the most unique of circumstances, most people don't shipwreck their lives by one dumb decision Sometimes it happens, like an out-of-the-blue decision. By and large, it's a series of soft choices that lead to softer choices that lead to softer choices. It's like the story of the person who spends their lives doing drugs and alcohol, and then all of a sudden, like, man, I haven't done that in a while. I can have a glass of wine here or there. Oh, it's not so bad. I can just go to the bar tonight. And then before you know it, it's off the rails. But it began where it shouldn't have started, where you know that if that's a struggle, you should never go near that stuff, right? You cut that stuff out of your life, right? You realize like, look, if you're married, listen, you Facebooking with an old love interest. I mean, like as a pastor, I hear these stories all the time. You know what I mean? Or there's someone at your work and they treat you so nice. And you know, my husband, he's just so tired. When he comes home from work, he doesn't pay attention to me. But the guy in the office, he pays a ton of attention to me or vice versa. You know, my wife doesn't pay any attention. She's busy. You know, with whatever, and then, you know, the, the girl at the office, she's so kind to me, and she cares about me, and she really gets me. It's like, yeah, don't forget that, like, in the beginning of a relationship, they always get you. Because they want to get you. <laughs> right? But it begins with these soft choices. And what is it? Is the soft choice now opens the door, and then the next choice becomes a little bit more. And then before you know it, like, Satan's smart. Yeah. And this has been going on as long as humanity's been there. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all this stuff is real. And so really what this is talking to us about is that compromise can be a huge problem. Because not only do they have this doctrine of Balaam, where really what you have is some within the church of Pergamon who are messing around with the imperial cult. They're messing around with the way of their culture. And then he also says, it's amazing because there's another area of struggle here because he says in verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now you remember in the church in Ephesus, they hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, whatever that was. But now in the church in Pergamos, not only do they have the becoming like their culture, not being distinct, but they also, they love this doctrine. they are people who believe in this doctrine. So they're not hating the things that Jesus hates. And right there, you're sowing the seeds of compromise. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Nobody is saved by living a flawless life because that's what Jesus did for us. But all of us are responsible to simply respond to Jesus. I believe that God, the experience of the blessings that Jesus' blood bought for us on Calvary's cross is on the other side of obedience. It's on the other side of us saying, God, I am going to do the things that you ask me to do. I am going to push away those things that I know are wrong, and it's not. And people are always are apt to say, "Well, listen, Befusco, like all those things are fun." But I'm here to tell you, sin is pleasurable for a season, but it ultimately leaves you bankrupt internally, on a soul level, and on a spiritual. It demeans who we are. Now, I say that as someone who I lived a lot of spiritually bankrupt lives, like my high school and through college, it was just like it was bad. So I'm not someone who's like, man, I just grew up in church. I've only known. No, No, it's like I've been on the other side of it. And I've seen what it looks like. And as a pastor for 20 years, I've walked with a lot of people who know better, who are on the wrong side of this stuff. And all there is is carnage. And it doesn't begin with carnage, but it lands there ultimately. Because what ends up happening is, is if you know enough of Jesus, but you have your feet in the world, You know too much of the world. You really can't enjoy Jesus. He's not enjoyable because you realize that you are divided. Like I always say, like the reason, like no one's designed to sit on a fence. It's actually uncomfortable to sit on a fence. They make it uncomfortable. Why? Because the fence is supposed to, you're either on one side or the other. But for so many of us in our day and age, we're living compromised lives. We believe in Jesus, but we're sitting on the fence. And life is uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable because you're not supposed to sit on the fence. You have to choose a side. And I think the most awful position to be in is when you're trying to believe in Jesus, but you still got your foot in the world. Because you really can't enjoy the manifold grace of God. You can't walk in the things that God has. And if you're there today, listen, there is no judgment here, but it is a call. Listen, you need to step away. You need to choose Whom you're going to serve. And I know that that can be hard and scary, especially when there's lifestyle habits involved and ways of living and friendships involved. But I'm here to tell you, listen, your soul's joy in Jesus depends on you stepping away from it. And it is time for the body of Christ, because I believe that the revival that God wants to bring, it has to begin in the house of God. Revival always begins within the people of God. Judgment begins in the house of God first. First.
0: Jesus is real. Compromise can be good unless it's in your spiritual life. Pastor Daniel challenged you today to take a good hard look at your faith and see where you may have let a few things slide. Soft choices, as he put it, those things that are in the gray moral area, that might not be great, but they don't completely violate God's desires for you. If you, like the church at Pergamos, have allowed some iffy content into your walk with the Lord, then take a moment today to repent and come back to a firm relationship with your Heavenly Father. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm
1: so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' is Real Radio at 360 256 4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering
0: with us. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel jumps into the next church letter, this time to Thyatira. This church needed a little more reproof than we've seen so far, but it will be a lesson that we as followers of Christ need to learn from. You can benefit from knowledge of Thyatira's successes and their failures. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.